For those remaining in the auditorium and those watching online, please take your Bibles over to Romans chapter 14, and we are looking to finish the chapter together this morning, Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 23. In Romans chapter 14, as we looked at last week, Paul turns his attention to the interrelationships with individuals within the church. And as we noted and have noted, Paul's writing to Christians in Rome, the situation historically is that in AD 49, under Emperor Claudius, Jews were expelled from the city, and so any of the Christians in the city of Rome would have been Gentiles. In AD 54, under the new emperor Nero, Jews are allowed back in, and Paul is now writing to the Christians in Rome in about AD 57. So for only about three years, Jews have been back into church family body life with their fellow Christians, the Gentiles, and yet Paul recognizes that there are deep divisions, and these divisions are not about the gospel, but about things that relate primarily, if not exclusively, to Jewish life, Jewish ethnicity, and Jewish culture. And so Paul's admonition in the first part of the chapter is, do not judge one another. Have a posture of welcome to each other. And that message is always needed for the church and certainly during the times in which we are currently living. Now, in the latter part of the chapter, Paul wants to turn his attention, so how does that work itself out then? Because practically, it's all well and good not to judge one another, but what then does that look like in the church? So if one person believes that we need to fully obey the Sabbatarian uh, rules and regulations and, and, and observe the Sabbath, and others do not, you can have a situation where individuals are not judging one another, but how are they interacting together as the church? What does that actually look like? And it is to that that Paul wants to turn his attention. Before we read the chapter together, though, just a few realities. One, we are not talking about sins. As mentioned last time, Paul is not addressing things that are blatantly against God's character and God's revealed word. That's not what we're talking about. On those issues, we need to be involved in each other's lives. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to speak the truth in love. In a spirit of humility, Galatians 6, 1 and following, recognizing that we also can be so tempted. But sin is not what we are talking about here. What we are also, though, not talking about are things that are then not important at all. These are convictions, and Paul's going to remind us in the last two verses of the chapter that we are talking about someone's conscience. And depending on their maturity, depending on where they are at in their relationship with Christ, they have a strong conscience or a weak conscience, and there is a sliding scale therein. Also, Paul is speaking in this chapter primarily to the strong. He does address the weak initially at both, and then he does wrap up there, but this is primarily geared towards those who are more mature in their relationship with God, more understanding of the core realities of the gospel, more understanding of what the gospel isn't than someone who is only young, new to their relationship 
with God. And yet, this is not then an admonition for the tyranny of the weak, we might say. Churches should not be bullies where the majority rule and the minority are not heard and marginalized, but nor should it be run by the minority where those that are strong always give in to the weak in the sense that the person with the weakest conscience, the person that has the least amount of relationship uh, time in their relationship with God is the one that dictates how the church should operate. That is also not what Paul is talking about here. So let's get into the text, though, and find out what he is talking about. So follow along with me, if you would, as I read Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 23. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus as nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then... Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is the word of God. So Paul starts then in the first place where he left off and bridges this sort of discussion with what has come before. So in verse 13, the first part of the verse we see that Paul's admonition to us is to eliminate judgmentalism. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another. We've already expanded on that last Sunday, so we don't need to go back over ground we've already tread on. But the reality is that in the body of Christ, in the family of God, in the church, you should not have judgmentalism. One of the main reasons is, as Paul has said in the previous section, you are not anyone's master. It is before their own master that they rise or fall, and their master as your master is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, Jesus Christ the righteous. So it is inappropriate and incorrect for any believer in Christ, any follower of God, to take God's rightful place. It makes no sense for someone who is submitting to God to pretend to be God. God is the judge, and you and I are not. Now, he's not talking about discernment, what is sin and what is not sin, and having those good conversations in love with people that needs to take place. 
what he's talking about is not coming at those conversations, and especially not those conversations that have to do with things that are not black and white, as we looked at last time, with the spirit of judgmentalism. So that the strong do not look down their nose at the weak and say, brother, you're free in Jesus. Doesn't matter what day of the week it is. Doesn't matter what's on the menu. Eat, enjoy. And if you don't, you don't really know God like I do. Nor can the weak look down their nose at the strong and say, I knew it. These pagan things you're bringing in the world. It's a slippery slope. I knew it. You're over there enjoying your steak on a Saturday, no less. This is clearly in violation of what pleases God. Whether internally, which is where a lot of our judgmentalism happens, or externally, whether verbalized, written, or otherwise, judgmentalism ought never to be a part of a Christian's heart and their reality. We are not God, so stop acting like we are. Notice also that Paul says, any longer. So it is clear that this is happening in the church in Rome, among the Christians in Rome. They are doing this. This is why one of the reasons why he's writing this chapter in this letter. If you understand the gospel, that we are all sinners before a thrice holy God, if you understand that the only way of salvation is Jesus Christ the righteous, and if you understand that it is only to him that we now submit and bow, it should then impact your life as you live it with other Christians to eliminate judgmentalism in your interactions to look down on someone else, to believe that we not only know their actions, but the reason behind those actions that we looked at last week is always inappropriate. The gospel calls us away from judgmentalism. So what does it call us to? Notice in the second place this morning then, from verse 13b to verse 16, a promotion of family. The idea here is that we do not live life in a vacuum. We do live life in a society that promotes the idea of radical individualism. Everything is about you. Your needs, your wants, you can have what you want, when you want it. And it doesn't matter about anybody else, what matters is you. Your choices, your thoughts, your needs. And even when those needs contradict somebody else's, that doesn't matter. And even when your needs harm somebody else to certain degrees, you need to go for it. It's all about you. That's what our culture says. That is what unregenerate human hearts say. And God, through his gospel, calls us to something else. It's not about you. And it's not about me. It's about him. And so, how does that look then as we interact with each other? It looks like taking other people into consideration in the things that we do, promoting family. So in the first place, it means thinking of others. Notice he says in the back half of verse 13 and then verses 15 and 16, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Paul admonishes us 
that our mindset would be one where we take other people in our church family into consideration with the things that we do, don't do, allow, don't allow. That it's not about us, ultimately and primarily. It is about God and it is about others. That the core of the gospel is the love of God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and the love of our neighbor as ourselves. We don't do that. We don't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. And the gospel came to transform us into people that do. And so by the power of the gospel, again, the, the indicatives, now we come to the imperative to say, take other people into consideration with what you do. Far too often, we post online or we do what we do with very little consideration for others. And that is not helpful and healthy in the promotion of family, which we are in Christ. Those that have not been along the path as long as we have, are we considering them doing what is helpful to bring them along the path? Those that have not been along the path very long, are we doing what is helpful to learn from those that have been farther down the path? Or do we simply turn up our noses at them and believe them to be in the wrong and we in the right Paul uses the word here, decide, is a similar word to the word past judgment, and it's a play on words. Decide not to be judgmental, but decide not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in someone's way. And we're going to get to the seriousness of that in just a moment. At this point, then, it's not about who's right or who's wrong. It's about having a more global perspective on what we do and why we do it. So, Paul wants to jump in here in verse 14. Some would say that from 13 kind of goes right into 15. And so this parenthesis, if you can put it that way, is Paul saying in the second place, there are those that are firmly convinced that they are right. And they are in fact right. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Could mean that Paul's saying, because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, having met him personally on the road to Damascus and, and being uh, discipled and mentored and growing his relationship with Christ, he knows that there are no foods that are unclean. It could mean the words of Jesus himself. In the Gospels, Jesus says, it is not that which goes into your body that defiles you, but the things that come out that defile you. And so Jesus is even already, although he came to fulfill the law, intimating that the law is no longer going to be in effect post-cross and, of course, Peter's experience where he has the sheet let down. And God says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says, do not call unclean what I have now called clean. So Paul knows that if you want to get in a theological discussion about whether it's an issue to eat a steak or not, his answer would be not. As far as who's right and wrong, if we want to talk about that, it is a correct thing to say you can eat whatever God has bountifully provided. But it's not about right and wrong, as we looked at last week, because it is at the same time true that somebody can eat a steak and thank God for that steak and glorify God in, that, in the eating of that steak. And you have someone who refrains from eating steak, thanks God for not eating the steak and glorifies God in the eating of steak and both are correct, if we can put it that way. Because that leads us to the second part of verse 14. There are those that are not firmly convinced. 
But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Someone who grew up in the Jewish way of thinking, deeply ingrained in their, in their thinking and in their lives. Even as we've been reading through the book of Ezekiel, we find that with Ezekiel uh, sort of pushing back against one of God's uh, requests of him as his prophet, because he says, I've never done that. Uh, not interacting with things that are unclean. Clean and unclean is a, are categories that were very, very prevalent in Jewish thinking. And the plan next year is to go through the book of Leviticus. But here we have this idea that for the one who believes it to be unclean, it is unclean for them. And Paul's going to reiterate what he means by that in verse 23. So, the strong has two options. They can eat or not eat. But the weak, if he follows his conscience, only has one option. He cannot eat. Because if he does, he believes that by doing so, he's sinning. And notice the strength of the language that Paul uses. Stumbling block and hindrance. Something that leads to someone being wrecked, destroyed. Notice he says, By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Do not let the thing you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Paul's not talking about light things here. To not take into consideration someone else's conscience. To not be aware of where our brothers and sisters in Christ are in the relationship with God is to potentially bring them into a position where they will violate their conscience and by so doing will be led to sin. And so Paul says we need to be careful. We need to take into consideration our family. Notice what's this based on in the third place this morning. It's based on an understanding of good theology. Verses 17 and 18. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. One question that certainly comes out of this passage and even comes out of the sermon from last week is, so I agree that there are things that are essential and things that are non-essential, but how do I know the difference? Because to talk to some people, everything is essential. To talk to others, everything is non-essential. Or there's very few essentials. So what is essential and non-essential? And what is interesting is this is the same question that Jesus dealt with with the Pharisees. And I find it ironic that we read the Gospels and turn our noses down to the Pharisees and say, those Pharisees. And then we fail to look in the mirror and realize that in 2021, that can still be us. So the Pharisees were concerned with the externals. They were concerned with the tangibles. They were concerned with the things that you can touch. They were concerned with the list of rules, the do's, the don'ts. That was what concerned them. And they missed out on the weightier realities of the law. Why were these laws given? These laws were given to show us who God is. And they missed out on him because they focused on the laws that he gave. And so Paul is saying, here you have in the church in Rome, those that are dividing and even destroying one another for things that are not essential. You are not going to stand before Jesus one day and have him ask you, hey, did you have that steak there back on June 3rd of 2003? Sorry, can't let you in. These are non-essential things. They are not the core of the gospel. They are not the core of who God is and what God has said. And so Paul reminds in particular the strong that the kingdom of God is not about your freedoms or about someone else's current lack of freedom. 
The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking and these types of things. It is about the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ by the Spirit. It is about the peace that that relationship brings. And it is about the joy that we have in the Holy Spirit. And so if we refrain, we focus on God's righteousness, peace, and joy. We focus on the big picture. God did not save us. God did not bring us into relationship with himself so that we can flaunt our freedoms, nor so that we can look down on those who believe that they have those freedoms. That's not what the kingdom of God is all about. And so keeping the main thing the main thing. And once again, I would commend to you Gavin Ortland's book, Finding the Right Hills to Die On, a biblical case for theological triage. Ask yourself this question the next time you find yourself in a heated argument with someone about something spiritual. Is this thing keeping someone out of relationship with God? Is this a core reality of the gospel or is this something else? Can I call this person my brother or sister in Christ or not? We need to reduce it down to those things. And so, is it absolutely essential that this individual only does or listens to this kind of music? Will that keep them out of relationship with God? Is it necessary for this individual to only use this version of the Bible, or to wear these types of clothes, or to refrain from going to these places? Is that the gospel? If it's not, then we are in danger of adding to the gospel, and that is not something that we want to do. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Is someone's vaccination status keeping them from relationship with a thrice holy God? If it's not, can we dial down the rhetoric and the vehemence just a tad? The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking or masking or vaccinations. The kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Are these things crystal clear? No. Are these things easy? No. But are they vital to be able to be together as the family of God, both here at Grace Baptist and across Christendom? Absolutely. We need this in 2021. Notice in verses 19 through 21 then, Paul comes back to what he has said previously. So it's promoting family revisited. But there is more that he wants to say, especially in verse 19 and 20. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. God, slowly, at times imperceptibly, seemingly, patiently, with great long-suffering and steadfast love, is at work in every one of his children's lives to bring them closer to him. Thank God he's doing that in your life, and thank God he's doing that in mine. And regardless of where you think you may be in relationship with him, you've got a long way to go, as do I. 
God is building something, one stone we might say at a time. And if you see some of the cathedrals or some of these massive buildings, they did not get built quickly. It takes time. And so Paul is saying what we ought to be doing is helping God in the building of that building that is that individual's relationship with him. We ought to be edifying, building up, building into. We ought not to be destroying. God is building into all of us, I hope, righteousness and peace and joy, truth and mercy and grace, compassion, goodness and gentleness, self-control, truth and love. And he's building those things into us. And woe to anyone who comes along and for the sake of eating or drinking or days or anything, removes stones or attempts to. Attempts to destroy what God is building. Building slowly, patiently. Thank God for the patience he has with me and he has with you. Can we not have that patience with one another? Ought we not to have that patience with one another? So you're having a conversation with a brother or sister in Christ who does not believe as you do about certain things. Do you remember how long it took you to get there? Do you remember when you believed exactly as they did? Do you remember when your position was even stronger than theirs currently is? Do you look back with gratitude on the maturity that God has brought into your life? And do you extend that same grace and patience to the person that you're talking to? So the person you're talking to does not agree with you on certain items and they're much more free and less conservative than you are. Are you thankful for their relationship with God? Are you thankful for the time in they have with God? Are you looking to learn from them? Are you seeking to have more knowledge of God from someone further down the path? Are these our interactions with one another? Do not for the non-essentials, Paul says, destroy something that God is building. And so he says, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Again, note that the strong are doing this voluntarily. They're not being forced by the weak person's conscience to do this. They are doing it out of love. But they're doing it with the idea of helping them along the path. Note that the weak should not be judging them as the strong should not be judging the weak. And so note that the church and Christians do not adhere to the weakest conscience in the room. That is not what Paul is saying. But he is saying, are we taking into consideration those that are not as mature? And are we patiently explaining to them the gospel and repeating it to them as much as we need it repeated to us? Are we living together as family? Jesus himself said the one who desires to be first should be last. And so as we wrap up then, we need to consider conscience in verses 22 and 23. Paul begins by letting us know that family does not highlight differences. And I'll explain what I mean by that. He says the faith you have, speaking to the strong, keep between yourself and God. And what is he saying there? 
Is he saying the strongest need to not talk and they not need to express their views at members' meetings or to the pastor? They just need to privately go about their mature Christianity and just allow things to be run by the least mature. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense logically, but it doesn't make sense biblically either. Paul's not saying, hey, you strong individuals, you more mature individuals, just sit down and be quiet. What he is saying is, do not flaunt your freedom. Family does not highlight difference. Hey, look at that person who doesn't know as much as I do. Look at that person who's not as mature as I am. Look at that person who thinks that you can't eat food that God said was clean. Look at that guy. That's not what family's supposed to do. Now, again, if you grew up in my family, that might be a little different. <laughs> Five brothers and two sisters pointing out each other's differences was... Uh, kind of a sport, I suppose, in some ways, that I readily participated in. I'm not uh, saying it was all them and not me, but uh, all in good fun. But what I mean by that is family is not about flaunting our differences. It is not about being in your face about things. What did Jesus say even in the Gospels? When you pray, make sure to post on Facebook, going to prayer in 10 minutes. Send your prayer requests to me. I have a direct line to the Almighty. My prayers get answered. In fact, I'm thinking about starting and writing out my prayers and posting them on social media just so everybody can appreciate how amazing my prayers are. Is this what Jesus said about prayer? What does he say? Go into your closet and pray. Not saying that every time we pray, we can never pray publicly or pray that other people don't hear. What he is saying is, your righteousness is not for the benefit of others. It's not about your brand. It's not about you at all. <laughs> it's about him. When you give, he says, what do you do? Do you go take a video of your generosity and post it on your YouTube channel? Hashtag generous, hashtag blessed. Or do you give in a way that the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing? Now, again, that has been grossly misinterpreted, and I've preached a sermon on that in the past. But what is Jesus' main point is to say, your generosity is not done for you, or shouldn't be. It's for the benefit of the person that you're being generous to, and it's for the glory of God. And so he says, especially to the strong, do not flaunt your freedom. The freedom that you have in Christ, you have it. Verse 14 and verse 20, he says, we know this food is clean. It's okay. But don't flaunt that in someone's face, causing them to sin and perhaps destroying someone for whom Christ died. Strong faith is a blessing. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Again, not talking about sin. But on these areas that we do differ on, what a blessing it is to know the freedoms that we have in Christ, to know that our status with Christ is not based on what we eat or don't eat or what we drink or don't drink or these other things that are non-essentials, but our status with Christ is based on him and his righteousness. It's a blessing. But I would contend lastly that weak faith can also be a blessing. And I mean this. Notice what it says in verse 23. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. There is a sense in which a weak faith needs to be becoming stronger, and that is true. But there's also a sense in which a sensitive conscience is a good thing and not something to be despised. It would be good for anyone who believes themselves mature in Christ to take some good introspection and ask, the things that I'm allowing, the things that I'm doing, the things that I'm listening to and going and, and my daily life, let's take stock. Are those things being done for the glory of God? 
Or are those things wandering over as they quickly do into the realm of sin? We know that we are free in Christ, but are we using that freedom to cover up sin? Those with weaker consciences are generally speaking more sensitive to these things, and that is not something to despise. They're not always right if we want to talk about right and wrong, but it is a blessing and can be. And so for those that are strong, do you have someone that you are discipling and mentoring? And are you learning from them as much as they may be learning from you? Are you interacting with their sensitive conscience? And is it causing you to rethink some of the things that you have allowed? For those that are weak, are you interacting with someone who is mentoring you, discipling you? And in some ways, it's all of us. We need those two relationships, a mentor and a mentee. So an individual that you are being mentored by, are you listening? Are you learning? Are you open? Are you holding things with an open hand instead of a closed fist? Are you being helped along life's journey by the faith of others that have gone on before? Or are you despising their freedom and wrongly calling it sin? And so, we ought to understand that we are family or ought to be. Because of the gospel, we are all sinners saved only by the grace of God. We are not masters. We have one, and his name is Jesus Christ the righteous. And so as fellow servants, how are we interacting with each other? Are we interacting with each other as family? Are we considering one another? Are we learning from one another? Are we having good, honest, open, loving conversations with one another? Are we changing our positions? If you have not changed your position on anything you believe in the last number of years, then you need to seriously rethink your growth. We don't like change, but change is evidence of growth, and growth is evidence of life. So if you're not changing, you might be dying or even dead. Change is not bad. We need each other. And Paul's admonition to us is, do not judge one another, but learn from one another as family. And especially to the strong, do you understand how your actions are impacting one another? Let me close with a quote from Martin Luther. He writes in his treatise on the freedom of a Christian man. A Christian man is a most free Lord of all, subject to none. Now, he is not saying that we do not listen to the God-given authorities that God has given. What he is saying is, as far as his conscience is concerned, he has one master, and that is a thrice holy God. We do not believe in coercion, despite some of Christendom's history. And yet, what does he follow up that saying with? A Christian man is a most dutiful servant of all, subject to all. We are free in Christ but we are also servants of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray that we can understand that and live that out because of the gospel. As we prepare to partake in communion together, let us bow and once again pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing of your truth and of your word. Father, so many of us are stuck in our ways and we wear that oftentimes as a badge of honor. On the essentials, that is good. 
unless we are doing it with pride and haughtiness. But on the non-essentials, Father, are we learning from others? Are we interacting with others? Are we appreciating one another? And are we taking into consideration how our actions impact one another? Are we as patient with others as you are with us? And do we recognize at all times that you are the only judge, that we do not take your role from you? So give us this heart of unity, this heart of family, this heart of dwelling together in peace, finding a way when we disagree on areas, to have good, open, and honest discussions, respecting one another, loving one another, and being sensitive to each other. Father, may we be less emphatic on the externals and the non-essentials. And may we rejoice and promote, proclaim and model the essentials. That, Father, we are all sinners. And there is only one Savior, Jesus Christ, the righteous. May you be glorified in all we say and do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.